queer anarchist space where we smash the patriarchy by celebrating what is strong about being soft. Here, we'll explore what is vulnerable, raw, hurt, healed, sensual, queer, and controversial. So join me and my friends from around the internet as we talk about deep shit and prove, as Janelle Monet said, that pink is the truth you can't hide. Hey kids, we're back at it. Episode two of my loosely relationship-related series before Valentine's Day or at or around Valentine's Day. Today we're going to be talking about really personal work, work inside yourself that isn't directly related to relationships, but obviously has a pretty large impact on how you allow other people to treat you and how you show up in relationships. So I'm including it in this series. The person asking the question today is in a happy relationship and is and is simply looking for ways to be able to show up for herself better in the world, which I think is really important work and work that probably almost all of us need to do. I know I certainly did. Before we get into it, I wanted to make a somewhat related commentary. I have been talking to you all about my health issues a lot lately and my journey to try to discover what may be a root cause for a lot of the things that I suffer from. And I stand here before you today in front of this microphone quite embarrassed because it's I had an epiphany in the last week that I have been completely ignoring an actual diagnosis that I got years ago that I think is is the source of a lot of my most pressing issues particularly like my pain issues my sleep issues which is my fibromyalgia diagnosis that I got many years ago I think what happened in my brain was that because fibromyalgia is in and of itself a symptom of some other root cause, usually chronic stress, and given that at the time that I got my diagnosis, the medication that they have basically was shown to not really work, and from research that I've done recently, seems to still be about the same. The meds they have, I think it was something like between, it only has like a 6 to 10% rate of showing any improvement in symptoms, and then obviously has side effects and obviously is just another thing your body would have to process. So my rheumatologist at the time told me that acupuncture had seemed to be the most effective way to kind of manage symptoms, and I was going acupuncture for a while, and I do think it helped quite a bit and is something that I'm trying to get back into. Uh, I've had it on my list for a little while to look into what my state health insurance might cover in terms of acupuncture to see if that's something I can start doing again, which would be really, really nice. So I think it was, you know, between understanding that it was a symptom and thinking, okay, there may be some other factors going on here that if I could address them, then this would go away or at least get better, uh, you know, lesson. And also knowing that there really wasn't a route for me in medication and that the only thing that had shown to be 
in any way effective, was something that I couldn't afford to keep doing. I just kind of forgot about it, which is really ridiculous because my poor sister, who also has fibromyalgia, is constantly telling me things I'm talking about. She's like, that sounds like fibromyalgia. That sounds like fibromyalgia. And for some reason, I just didn't take it seriously. So I finally, I was actually getting my booster uh, vaccine. And of course, the clinic I go to is always a fucking mess. So, you know, I made an appointment and ended up getting in like 40 minutes late after my appointment. And they asked me to get there 15 minutes early. So I was there for almost an hour. Anyway, I finally started researching fibromyalgia on my phone while I was waiting. And I just was like, oh, this is (laughs) a lot of the issues I've been having. And fibromyalgia can even impact your digestion. So honestly, at this point, I don't know who's the chicken and who's the egg and who came first. But uh, yeah, it just was very interesting. And fibromyalgia also has links into nutrition and essentially your muscles not getting the nutrition they need because they're too tight and inactive, maybe not getting enough blood supply. So movement is a big part of fibromyalgia treatment. But movement can also be, exercise can be really difficult because your muscles, because they're so tight, can get incredibly weak. And that's what I've had happen to me. So I made an appointment with my doctor. I'm going to ask him, I'm going to let him know what's going on. So anyway, it was interesting to learn about the connection between digestion, nutrition, fibromyalgia. They also said it's very common for people with fibromyalgia to not be able to sleep because your muscles get so tight and they don't relax at night when you lay down. And that's exactly my problem most nights is I can't sleep because the muscles in my neck specifically get so tight that I cannot get comfortable. And a lot of times I'll end up getting massive uh, headaches from it or I'll end up with knots that last for days and are just extremely painful and pain relievers don't seem to really help and on and on and on. I get aches in my hips, which I guess is also very common uh, because again, your hips get really tight and they also get really weak from being really tight and obviously your hips are pretty instrumental to like everything that you do. So like sometimes my hips will wake me up because they will ache so bad. It was a big moment to realize that fibromyalgia is something I have to take seriously and I have to, I'm past due of learning how to manage manage it and take the best care of myself that I can. I think it was really hard because I think what I need to do for my fibromyalgia might have contradicted what I needed to do for what I felt was adrenal fatigue that I had two years ago, where I just, any movement, any expenditure of energy just made me feel really sick and I think I did what I needed to do at that time for where my body was at, but I do think it made my fibro worse. And I think that's what I've been struggling with over the last year or so when I thought, oh, I should be so healthy. I've been unemployed for two years now and have been sleeping a lot, you know, trying to sleep a lot and rest. And, you know, I thought by now I would be healed and I'd feel amazing. And now it kind of makes more sense why in some ways I'm worse and in some ways I'm better. I don't know if anyone needed to hear this. Mostly I just needed to tell you because I'm embarrassed. (laughs) I've been for years now being like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And then completely ignoring this actual diagnosis I had. And I just never looked into it. And uh, that 
that was a bad on my part. So maybe there's someone else out there who <laughs> is ignoring a diagnosis they have or is ignoring that they're pretty sure that they are something and is downplaying how much it might be impacting their day to day. I think it's pretty common, especially with like ADHD to kind of be like, oh, I, I know this is something I have or I think it's something that I have, but you know. It's fine. Not to say there's anything wrong with being ADHD, but it is, you know, just like with my autism, you know, it's something I have to take seriously and it's something I have to manage in certain ways, even if I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Uh, I still need to be aware of what it means for me on a daily basis and how to best care for myself. Also, I've been reading When the Body Says No, exploring the stress-disease connection. The reason I wanted to bring both of these things up today specifically is because I think even outside of our relationships and outside of personal happiness, which are both really huge, very important, and very valid things to want to cultivate, having a lot of stress Taking stuff into your body and feeling that you're not worthy of having boundaries and you're not worthy of owning your body and doing what it needs and being its advocate can lead to chronic <laughs> long-term illness and is something to take really seriously. And it's not to scare anyone, but it's just to say, you know, as someone who suffered from chronic illness for most of my life, and particularly since my mid-20s, where I went through two really massive, horrible breakups in a row, and then started to have what I can now see as the initial symptoms of the issues that I have today, and not being taken seriously by doctors, which is a whole other fucking episode. As I progressed from someone who was a people pleaser, someone who had very poor personal boundaries, a very weak sense of self, into someone who does not, I can see how all of the stuff I was internalizing at the time really contributed to the things that I struggle with now. And even as someone who developed a better sense of self and better boundaries over time, there were still ways that, as I've talked about in my last year of work, I was really going above and beyond. I was working just outrageous hours. I was traveling all the time. And I was trying to provide for myself long term. I was thinking of career goals. And then the irony is I got so burnt out that I just left and now <laughs> I'm a scrub and I have no career. <laughs> Go to patreon.com to send me money. No, but really like it, 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 it is this sort of thing where, you know, we wear ourselves down and we don't take our own health and our own bodies and our own autonomy seriously. And then we hit some kind of breaking point. That breaking point can be like a fucking terminal diagnosis or it can be, I just can't do this anymore. So I'm here, hopefully, to help you if you are in a similar pattern. Get out of it and understand that you are definitely deserving of autonomy and agency and boundaries and to say no. And it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're selfish. It means that you're literally doing what you need to do to keep your own body functioning properly. And that has to be everyone's baseline. I, how can you say that it's selfish to protect your body's core functioning so that you can continue to be alive and enjoy that life? But I just wanted to make all those connections because I think part of my dismissing my fibromyalgia too is this idea that 
I kind of can't wrap my brain around needing long-term care, having something that might not go away, really wanting there to be this root cause that I can fix, taking a very action-oriented approach to my condition rather than sitting in my discomfort and really accepting my body where it's at right now. So that's work I've been doing over the last week. Obviously, it's going to take a lot longer than a week to fully process that. But I have been, you know, going for walks where I walk extremely slow and I try to just be really present with what is happening around me, being in my body and thinking really nice, pleasant thoughts towards myself, which is really hard because I'm someone who's used to pushing it and seeing any movement as an opportunity to work out and, you know, build muscle and uh, just, just really like do as much as humanly possible. So to really intentionally cut my walking time in like half, slow down and use this as a time to really just do more emotional work than physical work has been really humbling. It's been humiliating in certain ways, just in my own head, you know, having to confront ideas I have about myself and about exercise. (sighs) It's a work in progress, Uh, but it's been really good. It has actually been really, really good. And um, my sleep is still all over the place, but I've definitely had more nights than not that have been better. And hopefully we'll get there. And also just coming around to the fact that, yeah, I need, I need more support. I need more help. And all right, before I read Brooke's question, I want to thank those who have given me money. Money, please! My money. So I want to thank new patron Martini. Thank you so much for becoming a part of the Patreon community. If you want to help support me financially, support the show, but really it's me, <laughs> help me pay my bills, you can go to patreon.com slash pinkspots and support me there. I also have links for PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App in the show notes if you want to send me a one-time contribution or recurring payments via any of those platforms. All right, this week's question comes from Brooke. Brooke writes, I wanted to suggest a podcast episode about how to reclaim your body as your own after a lifetime of seeing your body as for other people. I'm a cis woman who's also autistic, so I have been modifying my own behavior to appease other people my whole life, and that's extended to my body. I've been fairly lucky that in harassment is a fairly rare occurrence for me, but I still have had much older people I don't know shout unwanted comments about my body that I've just had to ignore, keep walking, and in one case, never walk down a particular street again in case he's hanging outside his house. Trigger warning, sexual assault. When I was a teenager, I was groped by a primary school boy in front of a bunch of other primary school boys, and I just had to shake it off and keep walking. My first experience with women before I realized I was bi was being groped by two different women in one club outing, and I convinced myself it was flattering. I recently came to a realization that a sexual interaction I had with an ex-boyfriend was sexual assault, but when it happened, I immediately convinced myself it wasn't a big deal, continued to date him for another year, and basically forgot about this incident until recently. I've realized recently that I probably would have tolerated a lot worse back then if it had happened to me. So now a content warning for weight issues and internalized fat phobia. 
I've struggled with self-esteem around my weight since I was 10 because I was afraid of other people thinking I was fat because people, particularly those socialized as girls, grow up being taught that that is the worst thing that you can be. I'm currently the heaviest I've ever been, and admittedly, I'm not healthy, but for my own mental health, I want to focus on simply eating healthier and exercising, and if I do lose weight, when that happens, that's fine, but I also want to be fine with it if it become healthy again, but don't lose weight or don't lose as much as I'd like to. However, I still have only bought a very small amount of clothes that fit me since gaining weight because I feel like I'm supposed to lose weight, not for myself, but for other people's approval so that other people think I'm sexy and it feels impossible to see myself as sexy right now because I can't imagine other people seeing me that way. I've also spent a lot of time in relationships trying to be the cool girl. Girl, (laughs) I so relate. So for a lot of my relationship with my boyfriend, I've let him non-sexually touch me in ways I don't really like without telling him I don't like it because I thought it would be rude to assert boundaries. It's only been recently, as I've been trying to reclaim my body, that I've been trying to communicate that I don't like it. However, even though I trust my boyfriend and he's very understanding, I find myself tiptoeing around asserting my boundaries because it feels scary to treat my body as if it belongs to me rather than someone else. I'm sure I'm not the only person who has dealt with this or is dealing with this, so I thought an episode about how to teach yourself that your body is your own and reclaim it for yourself might be a good topic for an episode. And I completely agree. All right, so I have a lot of random tips, exercises, thought prompts for everyone. I want to be clear that you don't have to do all of these. I just want you to take what seems interesting and try it out, but as you'll see, if you try to do all of these at once, it would be quite a lot. (laughs) It probably would just stress you out in different ways. So just, you could work through the list. Uh, You could you know, just do one or two of these, whatever it is that seems interesting to you, go for it. But don't think you have to do all of these. So the first thing I want you to do, however, this may have to come later in your journey. So again, come at this when it feels right, is get fucking mad. I want you to get good and goddamn angry Get angry at the patriarchy, get angry at capitalism, at the media, at rape culture, at your parents, at your ex, at those people who groped you, what the fuck ever it is. I want you to be mad at everyone. (laughs) And why I want you to be mad is because in getting angry, there is something that requires you to give a shit about yourself and to see yourself as someone who was wronged, and as someone who's a target of these systems. And I think that that's really fucking important for us to love ourselves, is for us to get angry about the shit that's happened to us. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be angry for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean you have to be angry every second of every day. But at some point, I want you to allow yourself to tap into the fact that like, yeah, this fucking sucks. It's not fair. I hate it. I'm suffering from these forms of oppression, and this is the way that they've manifested in my life. And this is one time, I'm going to say it, don't worry about your privilege. Just get fucking mad. We can always process our privilege later. This is something for you to do in private, inside your own head, 
Uh, I want to invite you to talk about it with other people as you have realizations and if you want to share, if that feels like it would be part of your journey to talk to other people about it, certainly do that. But I think part of, I think an unfortunate side effect of, I think especially for those of us who are autistic and tend to be very black and white about how we learn things and how we process things, of this we'll call it SJW culture that we're all in. Obviously, in a lot of ways, having awareness about your privilege and having awareness about how other people suffer more or at least differently than you do is a good thing in general. But I think one of the ways that I've seen it manifest quite harmfully is that a lot of people who have been through legitimate pain and certain experiences feel that they're not allowed to feel that those things have happened or that they had a big impact on them or that they mattered because they're so aware that for someone else it would have been so much worse. I don't find that helpful. I want to do... I was planning on doing a live stream, but now for self-care reasons, I'm trying to not live stream as much about privilege. Uh, So maybe I'll just do an episode here about it instead. But I just want to say, like, that's not supposed to be the point of privilege as a tool to talk about these systems around us. The, The point of privilege is not to then make you feel that things that you have legitimately experienced don't count, didn't happen, don't matter, etc. So I think for a lot of us, when we are in this state of feeling that our body's not our own, feeling that we that it would be rude for us to assert boundaries, whatever. A lot of us also don't get mad, and I need you to get fucking mad. And again, this may not... You know me, I'm a fucking hothead, so this was one of my first entries into liberating myself. But I think for some people, this may not be something you can tap into right away. So it may have to come later, but at some point, yes, I want you to get fucking mad. And the more marginalized you are, get even more mad. (laughs) You know, like even my most marginalized friends still find ways to see themselves as privileged or as undeserving of being just fucking angry and seeing themselves as victims of something. There's always controversy around framing yourself as a victim. A lot of people say it's disempowering. I find it very empowering as someone who spent a life trying to say, no, it doesn't matter. That's okay. I'm fine. To actually finally just say, yeah, I was a victim of this, or I'm a victim of this system. Again, not to adopt a permanent victim mentality, but to just give myself credit that like, yes, my life has been hard and these things have happened. And there's both individual, you know, interpersonal causes of this pain in my life. And there's also systemic causes of this pain in my life. And I want to be fucking angry at all of it. Because when I'm angry, I can start to feel protective of myself. I can start to see things as not okay. I can start to develop a reservoir of strong feelings that I can tap into when I want to set a boundary. It is much easier to set a boundary when you've had a f- like enough and you're fucking over it than it is to set a boundary when you're still trying to feel that you don't deserve, you know, you're still trying to be pleasing and you're still trying to look at everything in this very neutral or positive way. It can be a lot harder 
But if you're fucking over it, you can stop caring about what other people think or especially what these people think, people who are hurting you. It's something you don't want to, again, you don't want to be consumed by your anger to where you just become an angry person in the sense that you start becoming abusive yourself because you're so angry and you just see yourself as a victim of everyone and everything. I've dated someone like that and it is not good. It's really not good. And yes, it can cause you to become abusive. So obviously I'm not coaching you to do that, but it is okay to be like, I am fucking over it. I'm over the patriarchy. I'm over rape culture. I'm over people who think they can grab my body and that it belongs to them or they can make comments on it. I want you to get angry to where some guy yells something at you. And if you feel safe to do so, obviously you feel fine to tell him to fuck off, you know, and you don't take that into yourself as something that you deserved or something that didn't matter that it happened to you. So that's my first tip. Get fucking mad. Stay mad. (laughs) Understand that these things are not okay. And the, the, I think you have enough awareness to understand how it connects to other people too. I think that's where people go wrong is they get mad, but they see themselves as the only victim of these things instead of understanding the connections to other forms of oppression and understanding that obviously everyone who falls into these categories is experiencing some level of the same thing. And I trust, you know, that you're here and you've been listening to the show and you're part of the community that you wouldn't do that. You're not going to be like, I'm the only, you know, victim of the patriarchy. I know you're not, you're not going to do that. So yeah, get mad. And I think when you get mad too, it can be easier to find other people to talk to and to find that support and to share your story, you know, because you're coming at a place of injustice and that can help you override those feelings of not being someone who's allowed to protect yourself. Honestly, I think that's what it boils down to is we really feel that we are not supposed to protect ourselves. So get mad. My next big tip, and this is also something that I think takes a bit of practice, is to get in your body. And this does connect, I think, listening to my episode about disassociation, if you haven't already, will be helpful because I find at least for myself, that I, when I feel that my body is not my own, I dissociate a lot. And I think that that's probably pretty common. When you feel that your body's not your own and you're, I don't want to say allowing other people to do things to it that you don't want as in victim blaming. I hope that is clear. But in a sense, you know, you're allowing, you're not setting boundaries. So you're allowing other people to do things to you that you don't want. And you're not saying anything about it. How could you not dissociate to survive that and to get through it? I also dated someone where I, it took me many, many years to realize that I was pretty much sexually assaulted on an almost daily basis by this person. And it was Similar to what you said, I think I would have just put up with a lot because I didn't really understand. It's not that I didn't understand that what was happening wasn't okay. He 
essentially had basically a mandate on the relationship that we had sex every day. And there were days when I said no, but it was always this huge, he would pout or he would make a big deal out of it. And there was just this constant pressure on me all the time to have sex. Somehow, at the time, I viewed it as like annoying you know, I knew that it it wasn't something that I liked and I didn't like that our relationship worked this way, but it took me a long time to actually process that as coercion, which is a form of sexual assault, and to really realize how badly I was dissociating all the time because I was constantly having sex I didn't want to have. At the time, I kind of brushed it aside as like, yeah, this sucks and I don't like that this is part of my relationship, but... I didn't really have the awareness to understand how deeply damaging this was and how it was increasing this sort of fracture I already had with my body from having had eating disorders, having grown up in a household where my needs were never met, never considered, never supposed to be asserted. It just made all of that so much worse. So it's been something I still am constantly working on. I still dissociate all the time. And I'm trying to do that work to reconnect, which is really hard because I also have a lot of difficult feelings about the body that I'm in right now. And dissociating is a way for me to not have to feel those feelings and to try to run away from that kind of lived reality, but it's not doing me any favors. So some of the stuff I've been doing, as I mentioned before, I take long, slow walks and I really... On the walks, I focus on breathing. I breathe a lot, feeling the sun on my skin and feeling the wind on my face and looking around and just trying to be very present in the walk where normally I would try to walk or run as fast as I could. I'd be pushing it as hard as I could. I would have music on. I still listen to music because I can't stand (laughs) autism. I can't stand like the noise outside, but I make music kind of part of the enjoyment. Like I use the music to enhance my looking around and looking at how beautiful everything is and looking at the trees and just trying to be really present for my walk. I hope that makes sense. Nice hot showers and baths can be really great. I take, I've been trying to shower more frequently, kind of an embarrassing thing to say, but whatever you all know. Uh, And yeah, I take almost every day now, I take a really nice, super hot shower and I know it's not good for my skin, but it's good for my fucking mental health. So there you have it. I would take baths, but my bathtub sucks. So I just take nice hot showers. As I mentioned, breathing, I try to do, I obviously try to be more focused on my breathing in general, but for me, my walks right now is where I really focus on it, but you can focus on breathing anywhere, laying outside in the sun or the shade and just enjoying the feeling of whatever it is on your body, feeling the ground beneath you. Uh, If you're laying on a blanket, feeling the blanket, putting your fingers or your toes in the grass, just anything that you can really get into your body and try to have the physical sensation of what you're doing right now is really helpful. And stretching is really helpful and not even necessarily in a way to increase flexibility, although obviously it can help with that, but really stretching just to feel something. Uh, I like just doing several times a day, I'll just bend over and touch my toes. 
also I'll ragdoll a little bit and just sort of hang there. And part of it's because my hamstrings and my back are both incredibly tight. So it's a good thing for me to do, but it also just is very sensational (laughs) and it feels good. It feels really intense, but without hurting. So it's just something that kind of helps me feel that I'm in my body and I'm and I'm experiencing a sensation that I want to experience uh, multiple times a day. If you have any discomfort in your life, find ways to ease that discomfort and prioritize that. I find people like us who don't prioritize ourselves will often live with really unnecessary discomfort that could be easily alleviated sometimes not so easily but I I find I've just done ridiculous things to and just I could have made myself more comfortable so easily and I won't do it because again it's just really hard to feel like my own personal comfort is a priority so this could look a hundred million different ways I've just come up with a few examples but you're really gonna have to think about I think part of being in your body is also paying attention to how you feel throughout the day and what may cause you to either feel really good or have some discomfort, some pain, anger, sadness, whatever comes up. So hopefully as you're experiencing life more in your body, you will, if you're not currently aware, then you will find avenues of discomfort that maybe you could resolve for yourself. Things that I've done for myself is like buy a really nice pillow. I, again, have trouble sleeping. I have neck issues that I've had since I injury I got when I was a kid. So having a nice expensive pillow that works really well. I actually ordered like three pillows that all had, you know, open return policies and uh, allowed myself to be super selfish and order these pillows and return the two that I didn't like. And now I have a really nice pillow that I love and it makes sleeping, uh, I still struggle with sleep, but it has helped quite a bit and is at least not a source of discomfort. You know, it's a source of comfort as your bed should be. I really highly recommend, and I know obviously some people are not going to be able to financially afford this and I can definitely relate. So do what you can, but I find making your bed as amazing and comfortable as humanly possible, getting a nice mattress. I have a weighted blanket that's an absolute must at this point, you know, getting sheets that you like, getting a pillow that you like, getting a comforter that you like. All of this is really important. I think really creating a cozy little nest for yourself that you spend a third of your day in every day is just like such a wonderful thing to do for yourself and for your body. Go to the doctor if you need the doctor. Me, you know, making these appointments with specialists and and starting to advocate for myself that, you know, I may need to go see a rheumatologist. I may need to talk to someone about this or that has been a big thing for me. I hate it as an autistic. I hate having to call to make these appointments. I hate having to go to these appointments. It sucks, but at the same time, I am doing this for myself to try to ease. You know, I've been living with this pain in my arm for months now, and it's ridiculous, and I should have taken care of it a long time ago, so I'm going to go take care of it. Just prioritizing that stuff. If something comes up, get it looked at. Go see the person you need to see and just really prioritize having that care for yourself. Take pain relievers. Uh, This is controversial. 
<laughs> it's hard for me to recommend this because pain relievers are really bad for your digestion. And I think a lot of my issues may stem from the fact that I have to take so much ibuprofen when I have my period because my cramps are so bad like really, truly debilitatingly, horribly bad. But at the same time, if there is pain that could be relieved by taking pain relievers, then do that. Use your judgment. I kind of judge if I have a headache or something, if it's worth, if it's something I can write out or not, because I don't want to overload my system with this stuff. I'm also extremely resistant to pain killers and pain relievers. So that's part of my issue is that I have to take really huge amounts to get any relief. So I have to be really judicious in how I use them. But I also find a lot of people just put up with like unnecessary pain when they could just take a pain reliever. So if you have a headache and it's kind of a one-off and you're uncomfortable, think about making yourself comfortable. Consider taking edibles if those help. I'm looking right now into getting some edibles. CBD works really well for me. So it doesn't have to be you know, if you don't want to take drugs, you don't have to take it with THC. You don't have to get high, man. And this is just a suggestion. There, there are probably a million other things that you can do. Uh, but this was something, you know, I've been kind of resistant to it, but it's like I'm having trouble sleeping. And a lot of my trouble sleeping is that my muscles literally won't relax. And it's like, I live literally right next to a dispensary. <laughs> I live in California where I can just go buy it now. Like, it's pretty ridiculous that I'm not at least opening myself up to this as even a short-term, you know, solution, if not a long-term solution or aid in my issues. So just get the help. I, again, these are very specific to me. I think there's literally infinite examples that we could come up with of just little small ways. Get yourself better shoes. If your socks fall down, get yourself better socks. I've had so many pairs of fucking what are they called? The low profile socks that slip down and I'll just keep wearing them. And then I just have socks balled up underneath my feet all day. And it's so fucking annoying. <laughs> and you just reach down and you try to pull them back up and then they slip back down. And I've just started throwing them away. I'm like, if they don't work, throw them away and just use the socks at work and get new socks if you need to get new socks. Like, just little things like that. I think we, we, those of us who struggle to really love ourselves and advocate for ourselves will, will wear clothes that don't fit, right? This is a related, I was going to save this for later, but buying clothes and get some new clothes that you really like that are very comfortable in your new size, expand your wardrobe a bit, give yourself more options in what to wear is a big thing. And I think it connects into the discomfort as well. I was wearing clothes for so long that were cutting into my stomach because my stomach has been a lot of where I've put on my weight. That was really hard for me to accept because I was someone who had a very much like an hourglass figure my whole life and my waist was always the smallest part of me. Between the denial and also this idea that I still had and I hope people, you know, will understand this, like I do not think fat people are bad, but I have obviously internalized a lot of stuff and having struggled with eating disorders my whole life. There is this sense that you develop through that process where you think you deserve to be uncomfortable for being in a body that isn't the size or the shape that you think it's supposed to be. And so for a long time, I would come home and take off my pants and I would just have these deep, horrible marks in my skin where my pants had been cutting into me. 
and I would just be so uncomfortable all day and I would be in pain. And I remember I finally broke down and bought like new pants (laughs) in my new size and also specifically got like plus size pants, you know, pants designed for people in bigger bodies and just was amazed at how much better I felt about myself because I I didn't have clothes that seemed to be punishing me all day. That's a really huge way, I think, to ease discomfort and to also give yourself permission to be in your body is to buy clothes that fit, that you like, and that are comfortable. I still struggle, I'll be honest, with thinking that I look good and stuff. It's really difficult and I feel ashamed, you know, as someone who's such a advocate for social justice, I feel like I'm a bad person for struggling to really wrap my brain around my new body and how I look and to make some sort of peace with that. There's also like gender dysphoria stuff happening and it's all really fucking intense and complicated and I'm doing my best to work through it. My point being is I have some clothes that I maybe don't think they necessarily look good on me, but I like them. I bought, I love sweatshirts lately. (laughs) I'm just so into fucking sweatshirts. And I bought two new sweatshirts, like really thin light ones with a crew neck. And I love them. They're so comfortable and I feel really comfortable in them. Do I think I look amazing in them? Not necessarily, but at least I I would love if I could get there someday and I'm trying, but like at least I like them and I got them for myself. And when I pull them out of my drawer, I think these are so cute. I'm excited to wear this. And maybe that's as far as you can get for now. It's a step. It is a big step, actually. And so ease the discomfort of your clothes if your clothes are uncomfortable. Ease the discomfort of not having clothes to wear. Even if you're only wearing clothes that do fit and do feel comfortable, if you only have like one pair of pants that fits or one dress or one shirt or whatever it is, you know, or just a handful, like you're still having to do those mental gymnastics all the time of figuring out what to wear or having to constantly rewear the same things. And that is its own kind of discomfort. So buy yourself the clothes, expand your wardrobe, give yourself some more options and just give yourself the permission to have things that are cute. Even if you don't always feel cute in them, at least you're acknowledging that like you deserve to have things that look nice and that feel nice. And that's a big step. Do something with your body that has nothing to do with how you look or what people think of it. So again, this may not be accessible to everyone. Some of the ideas I came up with were like martial arts, pottery, archery, bird watching, because <laughs> I know with bird watching usually you like walk around. I do think it's somewhat important for it to be a little bit physical because the point is that you're doing something with your body that's getting you some kind of enjoyment or result that really has nothing to do with what you look like and typically doesn't include people looking at you or at least looking at you in a way of judging your attractiveness. Like in martial arts, someone might be looking at you, but it would probably be just to correct your form not necessarily looking at you like if you're sexy or not. (laughs) And I think finding a connection to your body and seeing what it can do and having some sort of hobby where you have some kind of tangible result from the practice of it is really important and can help you redefine your body as a thing 
that does things rather than a thing to be looked at. So this list could be endless. It could be painting. It could be bocce ball. I don't know. It could be any, it could be any kind of sport, any kind of art, any kind of hobby. But if it's interesting to you, maybe you've always wanted, you know, I've always wanted to take at least like some self-defense classes. And that's something if we're ever not in a pandemic, I will definitely want to look into to just have this experience of my body as like something other than an object. Something made of action, I think, is the point. And something that can create or destroy <laughs> is the point. Just having having a different awareness and engagement with your body, I think, is really important. Take time to nourish yourself. Often, if we're in the headspace, we don't really take time to nourish ourselves. And if we do, it's always oriented around like losing weight. So I'm really glad, Brooke, that you brought up that you want to eat well and move your body and you want it to be just for your health and how you feel and not for your size. And I think that's really, really good. That's actually a huge, that's a really important mindset to be in. And I think it's a huge step that you are getting there. But sometimes we can fall into the trap of when we do something nourishing for ourselves, we're orienting it around even our health in terms of like, oh, I'm doing this to be on track to be doing this good thing. Versus nourishing ourselves because we care about ourselves and because we want to take care of ourselves the way we'd want to take care of someone else that we love. So cooking yourself a nice meal. Uh, For me, actually nourishing myself often means cooking in bulk so that I have food for the rest of the week. And that's something I do that's really loving for myself. Yesterday, I made a huge pot of lentil soup and I have some in the fridge and some in the freezer. So now I have it not just for this week, but I have it for next week or the week after as well. And that is hugely helpful to me. So for me to do stuff like that for myself is a way to show myself that I that I love myself and that I'm trying to take care of myself. And it's really helpful. Um, even little things like making some tea and having that be a part of your ritual, something warm and comforting, taking vitamins if you need vitamins, taking any supplements you might need. I think we're over-prescribed supplements, but I there are some supplements that I absolutely have to take. And so remembering to take those and getting very regular about that is actually a great way to take care of myself. Drinking enough water, just these things that, you know, sometimes we do them because we want to be a person who drinks eight glasses of water a day or whatever. But I want you to think about what you can do. When I drink water, I try to really feel the hydration and feel like drinking water just feels really nourishing and good to me. So think about things that are going to feel that way rather than just adding more stuff to your box that you have to check off to be a quote unquote healthy person. That's not what we're going for here. We're going for things that feel like love when you do them for yourself. So that's the key, whatever that means for you. Make time for what you like and make that non-negotiable. So you may or may not struggle with this, I don't know, but a lot of times people who see themselves as not deserving of boundaries and other things also don't see their own time as important and often think it's selfish to schedule things for themselves and not be available for other people. So if it's reading, if it's walking, playing video games, time with friends, whatever it is that you really love to do and maybe you're not doing enough of, 
schedule that time for yourself and make that time pretty non-negotiable. Obviously be reasonable about it. Like if some life or death emergency comes up, then fine. But in general, I think it's really good to have safe Thursday nights are when I game online with my friends. And that is, unless it's a very special occasion, that's pretty non-negotiable. I'm going to be doing that on Thursdays. (laughs) My favorite tip, be a little bit of a Karen. Now, obviously, I mean the original definition of a Karen, which is more about class and deals with uh, service people, not the newer definition of a Karen, which usually includes race. Um, although obviously in class stuff, there's usually inherent racism. What I mean by that, and obviously I don't want you to actually be a Karen at all. Again, when we don't have these good boundaries for ourselves, we often see anything that we want or need as like too much and an imposition. And we can feel like a Karen just trying to ask for anything. So I want you to channel a little bit of like, I'm going to be a little bit of a Karen and I'm going to embrace that. You can send back food or drink that you don't like. (laughs) This is pretty advanced level, but honestly, this changed my life when I started doing it. And I just want to say as someone, I always have to say this, when I, I have worked in restaurants my entire life, my parents have owned a restaurant, like it is perfectly acceptable to send back food or drink that you really don't like or that is of poor quality. And typically what's going to happen, if the restaurant's absolute shit, then they may give you shit about it and just be ready for that confrontation. But most times, any decent restaurant is going to offer to make a replacement for free and or take take it off your bill. So usually, you know, you can send something back and ask for it to be fixed if it just wasn't cooked correctly or made correctly. Or you can say, you know, I just really don't like this. And often they'll be like, okay, can we get you something else? What can we do? Uh, Ask for the ketchup. (laughs) My little Gen Zers who will body slam a cop but won't ask for ketchup, ask for the ketchup. Special order something the way that you really want it. So obviously all of these like still be very kind to your service person, tip well. I don't think I really have to tell you all this, but I'm clearly I'm not saying be an asshole. Don't actually be a Karen. But what I'm saying is like do the thing that you're afraid to do to get the experience that you want to have. It is okay if you're a paying customer to go somewhere and get the experience that you want to have as long as you're not being a dick and you're not being like absolutely unreasonable special order, you're going to have to judge where that line is. But I even mean just something small, like one of my favorite dishes is salt and pepper tofu at this vegetarian restaurant that me and my friends go to. And they serve it with broccoli, which I really love, but the broccoli is always undercooked for my taste. So when I order it, I usually order it with extra broccoli. And then I ask the broccoli to be cooked an extra like 30 seconds you know, then I can enjoy the dish. And I really don't feel like it's that much of a, it's really not that much of an imposition, right? I'm not asking for something. I'm not asking for them to make it in this way that they don't make it or for ingredients they don't have or to just really go above and beyond. I'm just asking for them to modify the dish a little bit so that I can enjoy it. I really don't like eating raw vegetables in my cooked foods. I like raw vegetables, but I like them in like salads. (laughs) It's one of my little probably autistic things is I just really hate when I get like a stir fry or something and all the veggies are like half cooked, even though I know that that's a style. So I'll special order with, you know, 
just a little extra cook on the broccoli and it comes out most times great and I'm very happy and no harm, no foul. So don't be afraid to start really asking for stuff the way you want it and asserting that giving yourself that pleasure of having fucking ketchup if you want to have ketchup or a hot sauce or whatever it is. Have your food the way that you want to have it. Make decisions. I think also a good supplement to this beyond the dissociation episode is also the developing a sense of self episode. So this one I kind of pulled from that. Make decisions. Be be decisive about something and go for it. It can be like what to have for dinner, what show to watch, when to have sex, what to do in the bedroom. It can be anything. And I say this because, again, I find people pleasers tend to not ever have an opinion about what to do. And as a reformed people pleaser and as also someone who's dated people pleasers or been friends with them, it's really fucking annoying. (laughs) Not to make anyone feel bad. But I think for most people who want to have a more equal partnership, it's really frustrating to be friends with or be close to someone or date someone who just never cares about what is going on. At first, you can feel that you genuinely don't have an opinion. And that's where I say, like, just make a decision then. But over time, I think you'll start to discover that you do actually have opinions. You've just been repressing them so much that you, like, weren't consciously aware of them. Or, or hadn't learned them yet. But like over time, you may have an opinion about what to have for dinner. And again, this doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. It doesn't mean that you're suddenly like not compromising on anything. But just start from a place of having an opinion. If you're like, I'm really in the mood for Italian tonight. And your partner's like, oh, I was thinking Thai. And you're like, you know what? I could do Thai. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to be like, no, fucker, listen, we're having spaghetti. Like you can compromise if that's okay, or you can, you know, you can come up with whatever solution you want to come up with, but have an opinion, have something to start with and engage in your relationships in that way. Because it's actually, I think the reason I'm saying that's annoying is because I think a lot of people pleasers think that means that they're being easy and that they're allowing the other person to always like have whatever they want. But it's actually, ironically, it's it's very draining to have to make decisions all the time. So you're not really being nice to the other person. You're actually create, creating a lot of work for them to have to do, to constantly have to have the opinion, to constantly have to make the decision. And, you know, if they truly love you or care about you, they want you to be happy the same way you want them to be happy. So it's like they want to know what you want sometimes so that they can know that you're that you both are doing what you want to do and that you're happy. And if you never have an opinion, they never get that chance to be like, oh, cool, we did what this person wanted to do and now she's happy. So make some decisions. And I promise if this is hard for you at first, it does get easier. It's something that the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And you'll find out that you have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And then on the times when you don't, it's more genuine. You really don't like... Maybe you really don't know what you want for dinner tonight and the other person can decide. And at that point, they might be happy to do it because they haven't had to do that by themselves in a while. Stop numbing yourself. Cut out alcohol, drugs, quit binge eating, quit binge watching, quit binge gaming. Now, obviously, I'm saying quit as if (laughs) you can just quit these things. But do the work too. you know, 
uh, do what you can to stop numbing yourself. And it doesn't mean don't do these things at all ever. Like don't quit eating. Um, it doesn't mean never watch TV or never game or never even do these things like a lot or for a whole day, but don't do them in order to numb yourself. Do what you can to sit with the feelings that you're having and don't run away from them. And just consider that you're never going to stop thinking of yourself and your feelings as a burden if you can't even stand to have them. You have to be the first person who becomes comfortable and okay with your feelings in order for you to think that other people are going to be comfortable and okay with them. You probably do have people in your life who are comfortable and okay with your feelings if you would show them and tell them. But you won't believe that. You won't be able to fully receive it until you also are okay, or at least more okay with your own feelings and being able to sit with them. Relatedly, start talking if this isn't something you do. So start really, really small. And by talking, I mean communicating. So ask for what you want. Be honest about how you feel. Start saying no to things. Talk to people about your trauma Talk to people about your thoughts around what you've experienced. Talk to people about the thoughts you're having as you start doing this work and what's coming up. Tell people that they hurt you years ago. Say, hey, you know, I'm okay, like we're okay, but I do need to say that this happened a long time ago and I never said anything because I was afraid to, but like that really hurt my feelings. Whatever it is, you know, start opening up as you're getting more comfortable, as you're getting more in touch with yourself, as you're feeling more protective of yourself, as you're maybe getting a little angry. Start opening up to people and start letting people know that you are a person who has negative feelings and that you are a person who needs to talk about stuff sometimes. And I think what you'd be shocked to find is that a lot of people actually feel closer to you because a lot of times people who act like nothing's ever wrong and that they don't have any deep thoughts or deep feelings about stuff can often make us feel like we have to hide things about ourselves too and can feel really unapproachable or as if they have this perfect life and they just are never sad or whatever. And so when you start showing this side of yourself to other people, you may be surprised that people actually feel closer to you and warm up to you and open up to you more Whereas you've convinced yourself that that would cause them to reject you or to see you as annoying or as a burden, a lot of times the opposite can happen. And I do want to say, if you do get a negative reaction, if you do get a rejection rejection from someone that you're opening up to, that's about them. And that's a pretty huge red flag that you want to pay attention to. It doesn't mean you need to stop being in a relationship with them But it's something to be aware of that there's something in them where maybe they are not comfortable with their own shit and they're not able to be emotionally available to other people. And that's and that's good information for you to have. And another thing that can come from this is a lot of times we have a hard time getting mad or validating our own experiences or own feelings, but it can feel a lot easier for someone else For us to feel that way for someone else, you know, if we're having shared trauma stories or shared experiences and seeing how prevalent a lot of this stuff is, is eye-opening. I've been groped in public spaces multiple times. That's something that if you and I were in person, we could talk about. And I'm sure so many people listening have experienced that. So many people have experienced that in general. So I think in a weird way, uh, in a weird way, 
understanding how prevalent something is can be validating in feeling a certain way about it happening to you. I think that shared trauma, talking to other people about it, and I think because you probably care more about these other people than you care about yourself, but it can help you understand, well, if I care so much about it happening to these people and I can see it as something valid, if I hear another person talk about being groped and how it affected them, I have that sympathy and that empathy and I do think that something bad happened to them. Like, why don't I feel that way about myself? Why don't I feel more mad about it happening to me if I can feel mad about it happening to somebody else? So it can really help you start to make those connections and just start to connect into a deeper human experience where you stop feeling like you're making it about yourself and it's just that you're one part of this systemic thing that's happening, which in a weird way allows you to be more present with your individual experience of that thing. Now, as hopefully you've done some of these steps and made some progress, uh, I think specifically for you, Brooke, and for anyone listening who related, tell your boyf to stop touching you in ways that you don't like <laughs> and be nice, neutral, and very direct about it. And I'm sure he's going to be great about it and receive that very well. But that's a big step. So when you feel ready, when you've done some of this work, Maybe it's the first thing you do. I don't know. Whatever you feel empowered to do. But I do think at some point that's going to be a big milestone for you. And when you do that, I want you to feel really fucking proud of yourself. I really want you to feel proud. If you journal, I want you to make a journal entry about it. I want you to tell a friend about it or tell us about it in the Discord server, whatever it is. But I really want you to take a minute and like celebrate And be in the moment of the fact that you did that because it's a big deal. It's a big deal to tell someone you really love that you don't like something they're doing. (laughs) If you're someone who struggles with feeling that your own boundaries are really important, that's terrifying, you know? And I just, and it's just such a moment of allowing people to show up for you and trusting them to be there for you. And I think that's what a lot of us people pleasers really miss is that we're not allowing the people in our lives to be heroes. We're not giving them the chance to like really show up for us in ways that they probably actually really want to because we're so convinced that no one would want to. But you're going to give your boyfriend the opportunity to show up for you in this way and hold space for you and listen to you and still love you just as much, if not more, than he did before you said it and be able to engage with you on a daily basis in a way that's better for you. And that's going to be great for your relationship. And if it's not, fuck him. (laughs) But I feel that, you know, it'll be wonderful and it'll be a time when you can connect better. If someone can't hold space for what you need and for you to sometimes be angry or you for you to sometimes have boundaries uh, around certain things, that's about them. That's a sign of emotional immaturity. And that is not something that you should have to internalize. You should be able to state these things. And in good relationships, what's going to happen is ultimately it's going to bring you closer to that person. And then my last tip, babe, is just get older. (laughs) I don't know how old you are, Brooke. I don't know how old anyone listening to this is. Well, I know how old some of you are. Uh, but honestly, you just stop giving a shit as you age. It's true. What you hear is true. You just stop caring as much. So 
if nothing else, if none of these other tips work, then hopefully <laughs> good old uh, mother time will take care of the rest <laughs> and help you get to a point where you just stop fucking caring. So that's what I got for you today. Uh, when you're more keenly aware of being uncomfortable, when you're making note of these things, when you're spending more time inside your body, when you're connecting to your own feelings, when you're starting to set boundaries, and when you're knowing the, what to compare it to, when you're having times where you're making sure that you are comfortable and that you're addressing those sources of discomfort, when you experience having your needs met, having things the way you want them to be, Having some good old righteous anger at the system, it's so much easier to feel ownership of your body, to set boundaries, and to say no. So good luck, Brooke. Good luck to the rest of you. And we'll see you on the next one where we talk about how to be happy being alone. Hey, Pinko. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, consider supporting it by making a monthly contribution on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash pinkspots. You can also make a one-time donation on Venmo to at pinkspots or on PayPal by using the link in the show notes below. Your donations help support a disabled, neuroqueer anarchist live off her creative work, and that's pretty damn cool.